Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. All right, Michael, thank you so much for joining me on the Preacher Boys podcast. For our audience, could you just personally introduce yourself and let us know how you first got introduced to the Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement? Hi, Eric. Thank you for having me on. So I was born into the Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement. My father went into Bob Jones University, and the person who was started a church called Fairhaven Baptist Church in Chesterton, Indiana. Uh, his name was Roger Vogelin. Roger Vogelin is a powerful man, extremely influential in fundamentalist Baptist circles. We believe the Bible is the Word of God. His Indiana church is called Fairhaven Baptist. And on the well-manicured grounds, there is also the Fairhaven Baptist Academy for children and Fairhaven College. Pastor Vogelin has led thousands of children and their families for four decades. And Roger Vogelin was a few years ahead of my father, but got a lot of his staff from Bob Jones in the early days. So I grew up at Fairhaven. I was born, raised there, spent 21 years at the church, academy, and college. I was a part of that movement for uh, indoctrinating that movement, shall we say, for 21 years at Fairhaven. So my dad was the Bible teacher there. He had probably eight to nine different courses in a college that he taught, um, all Bible-related, had a doctorate degree, very, very smart, very intelligent person. My mom was a home economics teacher, early childhood development teacher, has her master's degrees in those areas. So those, those that know the church really know my father and mom. They were very personable, likable people. They have many, many, many college sons and daughters around the world, as they would call them at this mm-hmm. point, that They've had a huge influence and impact on their life. So that's kind of where I grew up. I spent my whole life uh, there in that movement. Then I moved to Southern California when I was 21 and was a pastor for about a year in uh, Southern California at a church, uh, another IFB church uh, here in uh, Vista. 
okay. in San Diego County. That really kind of sealed the deal for me. I know you're going to probably delve into it a little bit here, but right. uh, I, I, I've been fighting a lot of the, you know, throughout college, I've been really fighting a lot of the things that were thrown at you. But if you challenged them, challenged those ideas, they would come back at you and you'd be labeled you know, a rebel or whatever. And they right. even made examples of people who, who did do those types of things. So I know we'll get to that later, but it was, it was kind of the nail in the coffin. I wanted something different. I wanted another IFB church to show me, Hey, we're not like Fairhaven. We don't run like Fairhaven. Even the, even the pastor that hired me in Southern California even said, we're not like Fairhaven. Right. We know we see all of the, all of the problems that Fairhaven, um, you know, has with, their rigid ideology and, you know, the, the way that they conduct their, um, their business, but we're not like that. Well, they are, like, they were like that, uh, mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And so that kind of just sealed the deal for me. And, and I just said, you know what, there's gotta be more life than this. So left, yeah. left the IFB movement, probably when I was about 22, 23. Okay. And the, and that would be how many years now? Unless you don't want to give your age. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, Wow, 2007. So okay. uh, I've been in California now since 2005, 15 years come, okay. come July. 1st. So you've been out of the movement for about 13 or 14 years. Yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. A detox, as I would call it. Right. Well, I definitely do want to talk about that process. But first, let's give some context because there may be people listening. For, for a lot of people, the name Roger or Jeff Vokland, uh, I can never say his name. Even, even though I've heard his name said a million times, I can never say it coming from Skorzynski. But for a lot of people within the movement, they may be very familiar with that name. It's It's a pretty well-known name in that circle. But there's also a lot, you know, even for me, if I wasn't researching, I probably wouldn't have heard it being on the West Coast. So for people who don't understand, you know, when you say the, you know, not like Fairhaven, they may be like, you know, why would that matter? What is Fairhaven like? Can you, can you talk about your experiences growing up around the Fairhaven environment and, you know, maybe was it positive initially and then became, you know, really increasingly uncomfortable, you know, what was the first thing that you kind of noticed that was a little bit off and, and just give us some context about what Fairhaven was like. Very good question. Um, so I would say that growing up on a, you know, I'm not going to call it a compound. Like my, my goal in all of this is not to sling arrows at Fairhaven to, you know, try and, uh, you know, sound bitter in any way. I I've, I've done a lot of hard work in, you know, my personal life, not being bitter, not being, you know, uh, forgiving them and trying to take the high road with, with a lot of this. I, I, I just want to help people who are in kind of the same boat and maybe even those that, you know, don't want to move away from an IFB church or are sitting there questioning, you know, right. there, there are things that I, I'm not against religion. I am all for religion, but religion has to take a proper place in, in, in one's life. So to answer your question, when you grow up and you live on the campus and you know you're you're isolated from the world because that's what IFB churches do they isolate themselves from the world you're told a lot of stories of the world you know they'll pick the the drags out of society those illustrations and they'll make it seem like that's the norm so if yeah. this person who is you know at uh Pacific Garden Mission in downtown Chicago, and they would take us there all the times, and, you know, it's the homeless people, and they'd point and go, that person used to be a doctor, and this is what will happen if you, 
you know, take a sip of alcohol. Right. Well, there's a lot of, you know, so that's the kind of environment, you know, that when you grow up in this and, you know, as the podcast goes on, we'll, you know, talk more and more about, you know, some of the pitfalls of, of the IFB movement, how they, how they really in and keep you in. Uh-huh. But you think you, you believe that this is normal way of life, that this is the norm, that this is right. what normal, godly, righteous people should be, ought to be doing. And if anybody else says otherwise, they're wrong. Right. So you get this. So and growing up at Fairhaven, it was very Roger Volkman was a very um, he was an inner city German, uh, staunch, uh, just you know, uh, for for lack of better words, I, I refer to him as as a bully. If if you crossed him, you would be the sermon illustration. You would be the rebel. You would get publicly humiliated in front of thousands of people at a church service, if you opposed him. I mean, I, I remember sitting there and thinking, cause I grew up on the staff side and you know, I was, uh, cause I was a staff kid. So I saw behind the curtain for a lot of things, you know, and, but I also, my dad wasn't really looked at as true staff by the staff. Like there really wasn't, you know, there's the elite staff and then there's, you know, the people who do all the dirty work on the staff. And that's, that's yeah. where they, they kind of put my father. And he was, he, he didn't mind. He's, hey, I'm just here to serve the Lord. He had a great servant's attitude yeah. um, when and it came be, to that. Before we move on, and I, I'm always fascinated by this. And, you know, I've, I've said on the show and it falls on deaf ears because people like to make a lot of assumptions about my motivations doing this. But, you know, I'll I'll be the first to say there's some really genuinely great people that I've met within the IFB, and some of those are even on staff of ministries that aren't you know genuinely great ministries. And it sounds like, at least from your descriptions thus far, your parents were genuinely really decent, good people. And I'm always curious, you know, did you have you ever thought about the mindset that keeps someone like that at a place like that, even though their personality and the ministries i guess personality tend to clash can you give a little bit of context and like maybe you know why you think that's the case and and why you think your parents were able to operate at a place that you know doesn't seem like it really fit their mood and identity absolutely it's uh it's the it's the greater good um Mm, cause it's it it's this we have this higher calling and this higher cause that we're not going to let any man keep us down uh, or hinder us from, you know, doing good or God's work. And we often, I won't, I know I've had multiple conversations with my father since he's left Fairhaven. They left Fairhaven in 2000, uh, probably about 2008, 2009. So about the same time you left the IFB. Yeah, there was, there was, there, there was a, uh, there was a meeting, uh, and I'm sure we'll get into that at a future, if not this podcast, maybe, uh, maybe a future one, if, if you have me back, uh, yeah. round two or three or four, <laughs> one of those. <laughs> yeah. I w- when I was a pastor, um, let me, let me answer your question. Then, then I can go off into that. Um, but I think it's, it's, a, it's, we often, you know, look at, well, look at all this Fox's Book of Martyrs and all these people that were persecuted. And I mm-hmm. think they just look at it as a, well, I'm doing a lot of good. So I'm going to overlook a lot of the deficiencies um, uh, or attacks, whether they're from within or whether they're from without. And I remember my father mm-hmm. saying things like, even when the staff is wrong, they're right because they're your authority figure. 
you know and so mm. it's kind of this they buy into the pastoral authority being you know this holy god-given authority that cannot be challenged and goes unchecked right. they even buy into that but they they look at all of the good that they're doing the people that they're reaching the lives that they're changing the the souls that are being saved and it's kind of like this balance thing like okay can I handle all of the criticism from staff, Roger Vogelin, Steve Dameron, Don Whitaker, you know, uh, Jeff, Vogel. can I handle all of this persecution and criticism from them in a public forum or is it too much? And it's the scale that you put the good and the bad in there. And it's like, well, look at all the college sons and college daughters that I, you know, in, in lives I'm yeah. impacting that are coming in, in the hundreds uh, every year. And so, they they kind of do this scale thing and if the mm. good outweighs the bad then they stay then you know they just put up with it it's 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 looked at as you know okay i'll tell you behind the scenes um i i yeah. my mom was was very distraught over it and fights a lot of mental um uh depression today mm. as yeah. a result of it my dad feels a lot of guilt from keeping us there as long as he did but you got to understand with Fairhaven, they kept things very separate because I've talked to a lot of, I'm going to call them for sake of illustration, college only people okay. from Fairhaven. Cause there were, there, there were a lot of college kids that came from other churches around the country. They go there for four years, but the college, even though it's still on the campus and even though there's still some intermingling, it was kept separate. And right. for, you know, for, for good reason, because if the, if, if they found out some of the stuff that was said in the youth group meetings, they would go yeah. back and tell their pastors and their past, even their IFB pastors would be like, whoa, 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 maybe we should, yeah, that's a bridge too send far. Our kids, yeah. yeah, maybe we should send our kids to, to Crown or, you know, elsewhere, yeah. somewhere else, let's look somewhere else. Um, it was always ironic to me, it was always funny, because uh, the perfect illustration of this was, was preaching conference, so there's a big preaching conference, I believe in April every year. Okay. And they would get people, speakers from all over the country. Um, I don't know if you've, you remember Phil Schuler. I actually don't. He doesn't sound familiar okay. off the top of my head. Yeah, there was Phil Schuler. So we get all of these guys in there. And I'm telling you, so all, all of these pastors from around the country would come in. I, every blade of grass was manicured. Every pothole in the road was patched. Every, you know, flower bed garden had blooming flowers like it looked like a million dollar facility because we spent weeks leading up to it cleaning it up and down and the best foot was forward and we get all of these people and then I, I i take a step back and i go why is it that all of these speakers are very eloquent speakers but we don't have them at any other time throughout the year like they're not they're not people that we would bring in and socialize because you know, when they leave these speakers, they make fun of their, you know, oh, well, they're, they're a little bit more liberal than we are, you know, right. and, and we, that, that's a different subject for a different time about the, you know, <laughs> how, how everybody wants to out IFB everybody else and always looking for ways to separate rather than look for things that are common, you know, and I'm just like, so we're pulling this back foot and all of these pastors come in and it's just like, look at what we're all about. And it couldn't have been so opposite. Right. coming from someone that grew up there. But when I was in fifth grade, I believe it was, there were, uh, from Cleveland Baptist Church in Ohio, there was uh, a guy by the name of Don Whitaker and Steve Dameron that came to the, the college. 
Okay. And they ended up becoming the son-in-laws of Roger Boglin, married, married uh, his two daughters. Steve Dameron was the youth pastor. Uh, Don Whitaker was the uh, junior high youth pastor when I was first coming in. And they were given unchecked powers at a, a you know, early 20s age and told, you need to go make these guys men. You know, that, that, yeah. that old militaristic, ide- rigid ideology of, you know, we need to make these men for the end times. You know, the persecution's gonna come. We need to make these guys tough. Well, when you throw everything in, you know, under the, under the guise of, you know, well, thus saith the Lord, how many times have we gotten a, a you know, a, a sermon and a pastor stands up, opens the Bible and says, you know, something about along the lines of, uh, you know, train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Right. Okay. It's a good proverb. And then they go on for about 45 minutes to an hour about how you should discipline your kid. And I remember right. sitting there like, when they start to arch their back as a six month old, that's when, you know, they're starting to, you know, exert their will and their rebelliousness. You need to, you know, smack their hand. And, you know, I mean, we're talking, we're going through detail like this. And at the end, I'm, you know, you're, you're thinking, oh man, God, this is from God. This is what God has said. My philosophy is three swats. It should sting, but not hurt. It's not considered an unusual philosophy among some in the fundamentalist Baptist community. And corporal punishment does remain legal in many of the nation's schools. But these former students are now speaking out, saying what they endured was beyond, way beyond, anything taught in the Bible. How many of you have had suicidal thoughts? That's every one of you. We constantly lived in fear of looking the wrong way, doing the wrong thing. We were brainwashed. Our parents were brainwashed. Um, and you, you followed what, what Roger Vogelin said. These former students say Pastor Vogelin did some of the hitting, but most of it was done by his staff. Allison Lavery was in grade school when she says the principal came into her class to paddle her. He would call you to the front. They would have pulled a chair out. You bend over, grab the chair. He tells you, look at that lunch pail. And he would pull the paddle up. And he was so tall, it practically touched the ceiling and he would swing it really hard, and hard enough for you to move forward. He'd move the whole chair forward. And this is in front of the whole class? Yes. Jeremiah Souza was in seventh grade when he encountered a school administrator. He spanked me, and the paddle split down the middle. So he started back over holding the paddle together. So whenever he would hit me, it would pinch the skin on my bottom and bruised and bleeding. Samuel Bain also was in grade school when he says he got it from a church maintenance man. He basically told me to bend over. And he said, pull down your pants. And I, 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 I kind of hesitated, because to me, it doesn't sound right. Even to a kid, you know, we were taught not to question people. And then he did what? He laid into me. They say that not only were they hit when they were here, but it was done with great effort to humiliate them in front of the whole class, bent them over a chair. Is that still done today? And do you think that's humiliation? Yes, it is still done today, uh, and I suppose it is humiliation, but again, humiliation is not the big thing. Well, what I'm saying to you is God doesn't say anything about humiliation in the Bible. No. He does talk about sparing the rod. Yes. That is mentioned in the Bible. Yes. So why the humiliation? Why is that necessary? Habit. Well, there's so many examples of this. I mean, I, I, t- I took the, 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 the training one and the Spain one, you know, as an example, but there's so many other ones, but... They get up there and they read a verse, and then yeah. they just go expound on what they believe this verse says. 
and what right. their interpretation is. But you come away thinking that this is thus saith the Lord. This is what God, this is mm. what the Bible right. says. And then we get into this mindset of, well, I'm right and everybody else is wrong because God is the higher calling. Well, my question has always been, and you know, I'll, I'll end answering your question when we'll move on to the next one <laughs> this. My question's always been this. Who gets to choose and decide what we leave in the scriptures as quote unquote a cultural difference? And right. who gets to decide what we extrapolate and pull out and use and say this applies to our modern day and age life don't the people that have to use the deuteronomy verse for you know to 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 bash on pants on women and say it's you know immodest immoral and all this don't they have to jump over the book of leviticus to get to there and the conclusion that we draw is that pants pants are only for men now if that's the conclusion that you draw we must submit to that people say well what about physical activities that demand it okay if if pants are only for men we have a couple um ways to address physical activities one is don't do them you know but i want to be able to ski if you have to ski in pants don't ski but there's every woman here or any you know a lot of active women here are saying like well you don't have to ski in pants you can wear something that looks like a dress and this is an area where I, I think it does take some discernment. Little babies and their, um, their sleepers. Yeah, that's, that's a good word for it if that's not the right one. I don't think that it's wrong, sinful, for a, ba a, a girl baby to have a sleeper on. But I will say that this is an area where you need to have discernment as to how long you let them wear those sleepers. You know, if they can walk around, they shouldn't be walking around at church in their pants sleepers. They can wear other things. There comes a point when she'll know that she's wearing that type of clothing, and she, and she should probably not wear it at that point. Yeah. It's a lot of these things, and this is what the IFB church is really, really good at. And I know, you know, we talked about this before, about, you know, faith versus religion and conviction versus guilt. And, you know, we can get into that at a later time. But it, it's, it's exactly that. It's I'm giving a lot of opinions up there, but the membership is taking it as thus said lord and and rightfully so because that's what these pastors are intending you to believe that right. this is from god this is absolutely from god because god is the 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 pastor is the final authority the pastor is the one that god can only speak to in a church you know that's that's when you grow up a fairy you grow up into these you know uh mindsets that's yeah. that's what that's what you think that this is the bible what i yeah. believe is exactly the bible yeah, it's the it's the man of God teaching you the word of God. And so if it's coming from him, it's the word of God. There's a very very thin line between the two. So I ask I ask you this, Eric, and I, and it's more of a rhetorical question because I've asked a lot of my I still have friends that are pastors at independent fundamental Baptist churches. And I'll ask them this. So well, you rail against the Catholics and all the my Catholic friends that, you know, might listen to this podcast, I am not against Catholicism or Catholics or any way, shape, or form, but Catholicism was the easy target for, you know, independent fundamental Baptists when it comes to doctrine and, and putting them down and you know, yeah. comparisons. So I'm going to ask you this, Eric, what you just said, what is the difference between what the Catholics do with their popes and priests and what they're doing 
as pastors at independent fundamental Baptist churches. Aren't they yeah. ex-cathedra? Right. They want to mock the ex-cathedra of the Pope. Aren't they doing the same thing for our relationships with God? Yeah. Aren't they putting themselves and positioning themselves as the gatekeepers to right. my relationship with God? No, right. you can't hang me over hell because your doctrine says you can't. But I can be the gatekeeper of your relationship with God and tell you, if you don't tithe, you're not right with God. If yep. you're not tithing enough, if you're you don't not go right to my church, you're, if you don't go to my right church, God. you're not right with God. If or you this college. Have, or... Absolutely. And, and so now, now that they position themselves as the gatekeeper of my, uh, uh, you know, my walk with God, now I've given up my dependence or independence. Because isn't that what the Bible teaches when we talk about grace? Yeah. And, and I challenge people all the time, even pastors. There's, there's one person that I still respect from my past immensely. He never went to Fairhaven, um, was kind of a self-taught uh, Bible. He was a missionary um, uh, for a long time and now is back in the States with his family. Probably one of the most respected people have in my life. I haven't spoken to him in years because of, uh, of past things in my personal life, but um, I remember him sitting there and telling me, you know, really dive into grace and what the New Testament teaches about the word grace mm -hmm. and see how it applies with spiritual liberty. Because, and he even said, and he's a, he goes to a Baptist church, uh, mm -hmm. but he even said Baptist churches are, are, you know, making these murky waters because they want to get up there and they want to say it's for by grace are you saved through faith and they want to make salvation mm -hmm. by grace alone but they don't want then we go back to the old testament rules and regulations and legalism right. to live by whereas that's not the new testament why are we yeah, going back the, to old testament legalism right with our walk with god well it's it's the gospel for salvation and then sanctification's on you and it's um yeah it's it's hitting that it's hitting the idea that you know you're saved but any of your personal spiritual development has to be on your shoulders. And that's why you see, um, and, and this is, you know, we're diving into kind of the theological side of things a little bit, but that's what you see when you see these guys get up there and scream and rant about character. It takes character, character. It's so much self motivation. It, it's, it really is. And it, well, I'm not even going to dive into that, but it's really just a thing of, well, I'll just go ahead and say it. It's a reason you see a lot of guys that leave IFB churches and, you know, it's they'll find churches that maybe have better music or all these different things. But the pastors tend to be more, you know, the the motivational get up by your pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We can do this kind of raw, raw type mentality, you know, and it's it's the same kind of message. They're still drawn to that same kind of teaching. Um, and even if not, I've seen a lot of IFB guys get out and go into the business world and they're extremely motivated by that same type A, get it done yourself personality. And it, it, it's just, that's the culture. It's, it's grace for the visitor on Sunday who needs to get saved and it's law and order. Uh, I should put in the law and order sound effect right there. It's law and order for the person who has been attending for a couple years or a couple months, depending on where you're at. So 
I've I've often made you know made this joke with me because when I first left the movement, I got a lot of calls. I would get a call a month from people who would say, "How did you do it? What should I expect? My parents are still there. How right. how do I handle that?" I I remember I'm still struggling with all of this in my personal life and in, in trying to navigate through it. And I would get people all the time like, "Oh my gosh, if if McNeely can do it." And, I, and I'm not something great. It was, it, was, it was all my dad. It's all my dad's name. It's all my dad's, you know, 30 years that he put in and the hard work yeah. and you know, the, the person that he was. I just was blessed to have his last name. Try to follow in his footsteps today, albeit very differently. But, you know, I, re, I remember, you know, telling them what to expect. You know, have your family, expect your family to turn their back on you totally. Mm, have your yeah. family, you know, be ready. Uh, go to therapy. Get a good psychologist. Uh, mm. Get, you know because it, it was so intense. And there's a lot of people out there that are like, oh my gosh, they probably went through like the ultra right of independent fundamentals because that's not been my experience. Well, right. to, them, I, to them, I always say this, that's fine. I am all for people finding like-minded people and gathering together in, mm-hmm. in, in how they believe. And you have every right and everything to do it. Just be open-minded. When mm-hmm. someone comes and challenges you, we're not attacking you. We're yeah. not, I mean, I'm sure there's people out there that will attack very, no, very their independent fundamental. Right. We're challenging you in flaws and in areas where you're trying to apply certain scriptures. But then over here, I come at you and say, and, you know, we'll, we won't get into the theological side of things and go deep. But then I'm going to come over here and say, well, the scripture says this, 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 and this, which is opposite of what you believe. So right. what do you do at that point? How do you receive it? Yeah. Go to your, go to, and I, I say this, I jokingly say this, I go, go to your independent fundamental Baptist pastor and say, I disagree with you in this area and see if his, A, his attitude towards you changes, B, yep. you're not the next sermon illustration. If you're still allowed to work in, in ministries, if you're, right. and so, you know, then come back and tell me how open-minded your, your pastoral staff and your church are. Why are we at this time? You know, and, and I think we, we talked about this briefly, you know, when we spoke before, was the difference between, you know, faith and religion. And what, mm, yeah. and, and I use this example because who is it, who is the responsibility of my salvation on? It's on me. It's nobody else's responsibility for my salvation. And that applies to every person in this world. And I think I've, I've got everybody on board at that point. Everybody in the IFB world will say, yes, absolutely. I'm responsible for my salvation. I take it to another level. Religion. What is religion? Because the independent fundamental Baptists and a lot of evangelical um, churches, for that matter, will combine the two and say faith and religion are connected together and cannot be separated. And that goes back to what I said before about this, this positions them as the gatekeeper for your relationship with God. Because if a pastor stood up in a pulpit and said, only come when you feel spiritually sick, I'm going to equip you as members with resources to find for yourself your relationship with God. Because your relationship with God is your responsibility as members. It's up to Michael McNeely for my salvation and my relationship with God. Not a pastor, 
not a, a system pastor, not a church. Now, if I choose, religion is this. So I have my faith. My religion is how I decide to manifest my faith. That's what religion is. And that's why we got so many of them, because so many people, different people choose to manifest their faith in, in different ways. But what the IFB movement has done is said, you cannot separate your salvation from your religion. You have to, for by grace are you saved through faith, you have to then be religious in all of these areas. And oh, by the way, we're going to tell you how to be religious. We're going to dictate right. how you live your life. And when a person gets to that point, they've lost their independence. And now they're just kind of robotic. And how many times yeah. we talk to IFB people and say, you're just throwing out robotic things that your pastor has said on a Sunday morning. I'm going to yeah. challenge you on that. And they don't have any answers because right. you're, you're built to succeed within the four walls of the church that you're at. You're built yeah. to succeed around the people who prop you up and have the same like-minded beliefs. But then when someone challenges you on that from the outside world, what happens? Yeah. You're dead they the run, water. they hide, they call names. Yeah. They're, you're, and then all of a sudden we hear the what? You're not right with God. You're rebellious. Yeah. And I've, 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 I've found this so ironic. When, when the finger pointing, what, is, what, do, what do independent fundamental about? And I think you put some clips up about how, how many shots they take at the left and the liberals and the Democrats mm -hmm. and, you know, all that. They'll take their shots at them about, about what? Right. Um, you know, they are name calling. They're, uh, you know, they're closed minded. They're, you know, they, they, they want to, you know, they make them out these, you know, really, really, really bad people. We're not just talking trash here, folks. We're talking reality, the local New Testament church and the gospel going out, not only in our community, but all over the world is at risk right now because we got some folks that hate Donald Trump. But more than that, they hate America. And that's what you need to understand. They hate America. They hate what we stand for. They hate what we are. And if you don't understand who they are, let me spell it out for you. Democrats. You say, well, I'm offended at that. Well, get offended then, because that's who it is. Anybody making laws like they're making is no more than demonic. And isn't that what they do? Aren't, aren't independent fundamental Baptists closed-minded? Aren't they isolating themselves? Aren't they the ones that yeah, are always one, right? It's one of their, if, if someone's listening to this who maybe is and would disagree, like, look at the doctrine of separation the quote unquote doctrine of separation, you know, the whole, you know, the whole theology of the independent side of it is that idea of we need to be separated from not just, not just the world. Like we need to be separated from other churches who may disagree in a finer point of theology. And we need to be, you know, separated from anyone who doesn't look exactly like us. And, well, I would um, I would even take it a step further with with certain IFB churches, and I, I made the joke earlier about they all try to out IFB each other. Um, you know, I remember sitting there, and our youth pastor would go, "We don't have this pastor preach at our church because they have a acoustic guitar on their stage, and they have yeah. acoustic guitar during their their hymnals. We're not going to do it. that church over there has TVs. We didn't grow up with TVs, 
you know, that church over there, yeah. they allow their members to have TVs. That's why he doesn't preach at our church and we don't associate with them. And that, no. it was like, we're looking for ways to separate rather than looking. And what does that do to the mindset of people? It suppresses this thinking for yourself because I'm not going to be challenged. I'm not putting myself in a position where other people are going to challenge me on belief. If you have the, ex if, if you are the most right with God, you have the perfect doctrine, you have the perfect practices, should it not matter? Should it matter who comes in and tries to challenge you? Aren't you strong right. enough to stand on your own two feet? Why do we need to separate? Well, it's the thing that I hit on all the time is like, if you have, if you have the truth, the truth has nowhere to hide. Like if you spend, if I, if I know something to be true and we spend two or three hours talking through it and digging through the evidence for what we're saying, if what I believe is actually true, our conversation, if we're both being intellectually honest, it's going to get us closer to what I already believe. Cause I believe the truth. If I don't have the truth or if I'm not sure if I have the truth, I'm going to be scared of those engagements because it's going to make me question what I think that I believe. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and that, that, that goes perfectly with the, you know, the idea of conviction versus guilt. Um, right. You know, I remember feeling guilty about a lot of things when I came out of, uh, uh, you know, the, the IFB movement. You know, let's say, let's say, for example, you know, my sister. So my sister comes to me one day and goes, so what is your belief on pants on women? And I go, you know what? I've seen pants that are way more modest than the culottes that were at Fairhaven. So if you can, you know, but you've got to decide, you know, you, you got to decide right. for yourself what you think is, is appropriate or modest or, you know, however you want to define it. And she's like, well, I just, I, you know, I keep getting told that, you know, the Holy Spirit is convicting me. And the reason why I'm doubting is because the Holy Spirit is convicting me. Well, when you lose your depend independence and the relationship is no longer, you know, with you and God, it's you and your church. It's what they say and what they guilt trip you about, they throw under the heading of conviction. Well, that's the Holy Spirit yeah. convicting you. Well, no, you're yeah. making me, you know, so, so we, we come away from the IFB movement and we feel guilty about a lot of things, right. not because it's wrong, but because that church made me think that it was con Holy Spirit conviction, yeah. when in all actuality, it's not conviction, it's guilt. Because if, if I, it, and I tell people this all the time, if you're at peace with what you believe in, why do you still feel guilty? Yeah. Because yeah. You came through a church and were, were sitting in pews, listening to people expound from one verse or two verses or three verses what they think you ought to do right. and make you believe that's what God says you have to do. And that's yeah. where this IFB movement has now become a denomination. I mean, they can call themselves independent fundamental Baptists all they want. It's a denomination at this point. Right. And it's a movement. And, you know, it's, it's a kind of a plug in. And like, I can tell you what they're going to say about social issues, you know, biblical issues before yeah. they even come say it because we we're all programmed that way. We all know what they're going to say and do. Right. They, they cease to become, you know, it, it's just kind of more robotic nowadays. And so that's where I always caution people is understand the difference between faith and religion, that they're two separate things. And they're both your responsibility as an individual, not a church, not a pastor. You can use that as a resource. And 
you know, we would not have hospitals, research centers, feeding right. the homeless without, without religious organizations and churches. I'm all for it. Just have the proper perspective of it and don't lose your independence, yeah. uh, your spiritual independence to a church or to a leader. That's all I'm saying. And it's very easy to do in independent fundamental Baptist churches because they position themselves as the gatekeeper to your relationship with God. And that's where it goes all wrong because then at that point, and now we can get into the abuse, you know, if you want um, yeah, part of yeah. it. Now they've got you lock, stock and barrel. If you leave the church, you're going to be a rebel. You're going to not be right with God. You're going to be humiliated. You're going to be the sermon illustration for the next month. You know, all of these things are pressures that are put on people who actually are like, yeah, I kind of do want to leave. This isn't what I want, but I'm scared to do so. And now yeah. you're at the whims of the pastors and they get to do, and you've given these guys the power and look at the clips that you've put out. Yeah. That's what happens when you right. give them all of this unchecked power and no accountability. And then we wonder why with these sexual abuse cases um, are, are, you know, really high in our churches. The cover-ups are really high in our churches. You know, the mental and physical abuse are really high in our churches it's because of this. It's because of what we're talking about here. Yeah. And once we understand the difference between conviction and guilt, faith and religion, it's very free. You're able to go out and you're like, you know what? It's up to me. I get to decide between me and God. We, yep. I get to decide what is right for my life. You got me all fired up now. I, I could talk about this for a long time, but but I, I think we're circling around, you know, obviously the the control aspect. And, you know, we, we obviously talked, all, I mean, almost for an hour off mic just the other day, and we're talking about kind of the control at Fairhaven and the, you know, some of the more abusive tactics that were used. You can tackle it in any order you want or give any examples you'd like. I know you mentioned obviously the Mexico trip being a huge part of it, um, as well as there was a couple other big stories and that actually ended up making CNN. Um, wherever you want to start with that's fine, but let's definitely give a few examples and share um, some of your experiences there. As I mentioned before, the, the two son-in-laws, when I came into the youth group, the two son-in-laws, um, actually, I want to say Steve was married at the time, but uh, Don Whitaker had, uh, wasn't married, but was, they were, you know, dating or betrothed, right. uh, you know, going to get married, however we want to define it. Um, and Don Whitaker was very, at first was very good to me when I was coming in. Um, he was very, gracious, very nice, very, um, you know, he even took me to, uh, his dad was a pastor in Ohio, took me to his dad's house for four days. And we spent some time together there, you know, got to talk, got to know each other. He did that with a few other people as well. Um, just trying to really get to know him. And then all of a sudden it just turned on a dime. And I remember thinking like, who is this person? Well, it was, you know, Roger Vogelin, the control freak, wanting these guys to make men out of us. And their idea was, um, you know, the youth family is a family unit that, and I remember sitting there, um, you know, listening to Steve Dameron say, this family unit is more important in a lot of ways than your own family. You gotta remember, we're spending more time at the church, in youth groups, at a school, than we are at home with our own parents. We would spend I mean, gosh, Mondays, you know, 8.30 school, 
we're not done with practice till five o'clock, do our homework to bed. Tuesday, school, practice, and then youth group. Wednesday, school, game, you know, whatever. Thursday, school, practice, and then uh, church. Friday, you know, Saturday, Sunday, ministry. So, you know, you were, you were with them way more than you were with your own family in a lot of regards. And I remember the, the, where it started to get really bad with me and the, the starting point was uh, uh, we went to a Grand Canyon trip uh, as a youth group. Every two years we went on a, um, different things. It was either called a Destination Challenge DC, a Destination Unknown, where we didn't know where we were going until we got there, uh, and then a missions trip. So every two years it would rotate between those. And so our destination challenge is we're going to go to the Grand Canyon and climb the Grand Canyon. Well, I had a very, um, I had a medical condition. I slept heavily. I slept on the top bunk of our bed and there was a fire alarm within six feet of my head. It would go off and I would sleep soundly through it. I couldn't hear a thing. And, you know, we were trying to, you know, get medications because I wet the bed, you know, and, and this is you know, getting a little <laughs> raw for me, but I wet the bed in sixth grade going into seventh grade and we were trying our best to fight the issue, figure out what was wrong. What can we do? We're trying medications. We're trying to wake me up in the middle of the, you know, all these things yeah. because my parents feared if I went with 150 teens on this yeah. trip, yeah. that this was going to be a very embarrassing time for me. So one of the counselors that was going on the trip, my, my mom and dad pulled him aside and said, Hey, Here's what's going on. We trust you with this information. Here's the medicine for, you know, Michael. And we've gotten him a special line sleeping bag. And, you know, uh, we've put some, some, some pampers and stuff in the bottom. So he's just going to, when he gets in the sleeping bag, he'll pull him on at night. And, you know, if he does wet the bed, it won't be as bad. Um, you know, we're trying all these safety products. So I remember, th- I remember being scared to death. Because yeah. here you are, not only as a sixth grader, you're, you're now with the seventh or twelfth graders yeah. you know, on the trip. No mom and dad uh, for a week yeah. and a half. And so first day, I get on the bus. I, we get off the bus for like a bathroom break or something, and I get pulled aside. And uh, Steve Darren goes, um, so I hear that uh, you have a medical condition. Okay. I don't know who told him that, but okay. Um, and he's like, it's not a medical condition. It's a discipline problem. I've ordered, um, you know, your medicine to not be given. And he goes, we found the pampers in the bottom of your, your sleeping bag. We're taking those from you. We're going to, this is a discipline problem. This is not a medical problem. I remember being scared to death. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to wet the bed. And I did that whole trip. I wet the bed, you know, um, at least most of the nights. And then they would make a big deal about putting the sleeping bag under the bus and airing it out. And, oh, my gosh, McNeely's sleeping bag is down there. And he wets the belt, you know. And then you're encouraging all of these high schoolers to be bullies. You're raising them to be bullies. You know, and, and Steve Dameron was great at, 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 you know, humiliating you. And then everybody wanted to suck up to him because he didn't want to be on his bad side. So yeah. then they would join in. And, you yeah. know, try and humiliate. I, I know I'm, I'm guilty of that with other people uh, growing yeah. up in, in the youth group, but that's the culture that they try to do. So we get back and I tell my parents, my, both my mom and dad hit the roof, go to the person they went to and trust. And they said, look, it was out of my control. Like I tried, it was out of my control. Steve Dameron was, you know, 
going to do this. Um, and so then they went to Roger Vogelin. Roger Vogelin says, yeah, that wasn't right. And uh, I remember my parents telling me that to this day, Jeff Vogelin wanted to apologize. And Roger Vogelin goes, nope, we do not apologize as staff because it makes us look weak. Hmm. And yeah. so then, so that, that, that's being done. So Steve Dameron gets it, you know, I found, I found that portion of it out years later, years down the road. I wasn't told at the time. Right. So we go to school, uh, in one of the youth group nights, uh, shortly thereafter, they gave out awards for the trip and, you know, making fun of people, uh, you know, doing this. And so he gets this rattle, this baby rattle and he goes, and so for the big baby award, we're giving it to Michael McNeely because he wets the bed. And I know it was, it was, it was because my parents went to, over his head and, uh, told um, what had happened and he had quote unquote got in trouble, which they never got in trouble. It was just, you know, Hey, don't hey, do that again know. or be, right. be more careful next time, you know, type of thing. Um, and so he wanted to publicly humiliate me in front of the youth group. I was just appalled. Like I'm, I've, I was already thinking about, you know, uh, all of the trauma from, you know, being humiliated on the trip. It's humiliation enough that I'm, I'm doing it. It's, I'm not doing it on purpose. Um, you know, so I put the rattle in, I was sitting next to a, a friend of mine. I just put the rattle in his bag because I didn't want to see it. I didn't want the reminder. I just put it in his bag and forgotten about it. Well, he took it out when he got home and goes, why is this in my bag? So he takes it to his dad who was on staff and um, his dad thinks it's, oh, Steve. So Michael doesn't like your uh, uh, thing. And he gets, so the next morning we're all in general assembly for school. The next, uh, uh, yeah, general assembly for school. Next morning, um, in walks Steve Dameron. He goes, I want to uh, talk to everybody. Um, you know, it didn't seem like McNeely enjoyed uh, or liked his award. So here's what's going to happen. He's going to wear this rattle around his neck the entire day at school. And if he takes it off, you guys let me know. If he takes it off, he's then got to wear it for a week. And so all of the college students saw it and were, were, were laughing. All of the high school students, you know, um, all of our teachers. And it was just like a day of humiliation all over what? Right. Because I wet the bed on a trip. Right. You know, like this is the type of stuff. And that's, that's one illustration. I could, I, could get, I could give you a hundred more where, you know, they went to the point at, at times where if they didn't like what you did they would call you out of school and it could happen at home. They would call you out of school, out of class. They would, you know, spank you in their office, sometimes make you drop your pants and go bare butt um, and, and spank you right there and tell you that, you know, you're, you're not right with God. And I know we're probably coming short on time, but you know, they, they honestly believed that pastoral authority superseded parental authority when it suited yeah. them. Now, Which, if the kid goes off the rails, then it's the parents' fault because it's the right. parents' responsibility to raise them. But when it comes to certain, so I remember, I don't know if you remember the Bill Rice Ranch was, was a big yeah, thing. I'm not sure if it's around nowadays, but uh, it was the one time that they were going to go down to the Bill Rice Ranch. I don't remember why or you know what, but they were against it, and then they were going to go one year. And my, my parents made a decision that I was going to miss a youth teen night and we were going to go do something. I forget, I forget what it was, but I remember we were, we were, uh, we missed it. The next day 
they knock on our door. We lived in the, uh, we lived in a small apartment in the men's dormitory. We knock, uh, Steve Dameron knocks on the door and says, I need to see Michael right now. And you know, why they're knocking on our door and not giving us privacy and, and all, but that happened more often than not. So come to the door and he goes, you skipped um, teens. And uh, because of that, you're no longer allowed to go to the Bill Rice Ranch. My mom overhears it. My mom goes, whoa, 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 what? That was our decision. Not his. Don't punish him. That was our decision. You want to talk about it, talk to us. Well, no, this is a family matter. Because they believed that pastoral authority uh, superseded parental authority. And I remember telling my dad that uh, for years. Because Steve Dameron would say it all the time in youth group. Like, if you... You know, just like you don't talk about, you know, certain things in your personal family, you should not talk about what goes on in our family. What happens in our family stays in our family. If you run home and tell Mm -hmm. mommy and daddy, it's going to be a whole heck of a lot worse for you when, when, you know, you get to school. And because we spent more time with them than we did our own family, you know, we listened. And I know you referenced the Mexico trip that's out there. CNN, um, you know, did, did, did a little bit of that, but I would just say, you know, with the abuse, the mental abuse, the physical abuse, um, you know, there was a lot of it that gone that that went on. When I to the point, I already told you, you know, a lot of people respect my father. For my father to walk away after hearing what happened behind closed doors in the youth group should say something to a lot of people about yeah. Fairhaven. And the abuse and the power hungry, um, you know, the control that they had, um, you know, the, they, they would get, they would have the pastors come in and practice us as teenagers, bas- the basketball team, they practice against us and they would throw balls at our stomachs, uh, hit us with elbows upside the head. I mean, I remember looking at my dad's, my dad was, you know, playing us when my dad wouldn't do any of it, but he did allow a lot of it. And he, he would just look at it and go, that's not right, but they're the authority. Yeah. And that's, that's the problem when we get into this and start peeling the onion and layers of the onion with, with all this is, you know, this is not okay. This should not be acceptable behavior within churches. I don't care if you want to put it under the guise of thus saith the Lord. And this is what God's, God doesn't say that. Show me in the Bible where Jesus did that. Right. I'll show you in the Bible where Jesus went into a religious church. And because they were legal, practicing legalism and, uh, you know, doing things they shouldn't be doing in the church, cast them out. My Bible, yeah. my New Testament Bible shows me that when Jesus came to a city, where did he go yeah. first? He never darkened the doors of the religious entities. He never went to the church, the synagogues. He always went to the leper colonies, the, yeah. the, the, you know, business people, the people who weren't so close minded and they were right from their perspective and was waiting for everybody else to catch up to him. He yeah. went to the people that he could actually talk to. Yeah. I, yeah. I would say, most IFB churches, if not all of them, check more boxes for being Pharisees than they do Christians. Yeah. And that's, that's the sad reality of where we've gotten today. No, absolutely. Um, I, know I, I know I mentioned I have, a, I have an interview here coming up, but I do want to leave this 
on this question. Just uh, I, I definitely think we should reconnect uh, soon and do maybe a part two to this because there's plenty to, to talk about. But I'm curious, uh, you already mentioned kind of what your final straw was leaving, but uh, what would you say to someone maybe who was in or maybe who is in a similar position to where you were, um, you know, as a teen experiencing that kind of stuff, uh, maybe in a, you know, really negative like youth group environment and, you know, maybe they feel trapped um, within it. What what would you say to them to encourage them or what advice would you give to them um, going through something like that? Ooh, now are they able to leave or? Uh, no, I, I would say like, I would, yeah, I would say the kids at home, like who maybe are in a youth group that's pretty intense and going to a Christian school and maybe even parents on staff, like so where they're really like, that is their life and they have no way out of it. Um, can you just give a really quick, maybe word of advice or encouragement, or maybe something you wish you had known in hindsight, looking back? I wish I would have known um, to think for myself and be able to, um, I was able to think for myself. So able to have your own independence, just understand that there's a bigger world out there. Mm -hmm. Um, Religion has strapped you down, tied you down, made you feel guilty about a lot of things that you get to explore the scriptures and find for yourself what you actually believe and what you actually stand on. Take the good, because there is good that comes from it. You mentioned, you know, some things about structure, some things about, uh, you know, um, you know, type A, you know, personality traits, uh, some, you know, some characteristics. There's good things that you're going to be able to utilize throughout life. Focus on those good things. Find the good. And then everything else, just understand that it's temporary. You don't, you, you, you don't have to be strapped and tied to it for a lifetime. And then when you get the opportunity to go out and make something of yourself, don't do it in a way where you're lashing back out at people, you're lashing back out at church, because there are so many of my friends that are just bitter, angry, because they haven't gotten closure. They haven't, you know, they, they just kind of were cast out of the church. But if, if you're in a church that thinks this way and you're sitting there going, oh my gosh, when is this going to end? And it gets very, it can get very depressing. I say, dwell on the positives, continue your self-learning, continue to explore the scriptures and you get to decide. Nobody can take this away from you. You get to decide what you believe is right and what you believe the scripture says. Right now, you got to abide by what your parents say, what the pastor mm-hmm. says. Don't re- I, would, I would say don't rebel, but keep a very open mind uh, because it's not going to go well for you if your rebel is going to put a lot of pressures on a lot of you know, people. Just understand there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And when you do get the opportunity, go take all of the good traits and leave the bad ones behind and go build a life for yourself. Um, you know, that, that is good. That is godly that you can be proud of rather than being, you know, where a lot of us were coming out of it, no closure, you know, Oh my, Holy heck, what happened to me? I, I am lost in a big world. Um, which I think we can agree a lot of us. 
Yeah, that's really great advice. And I definitely want to reconnect um, and maybe talk more about this. Cause I think it was a really good insight. So, um, but right now I got to jump into another interview. Um, I hate to cut it off a little bit short, um, but thank you so much for joining me and for sharing uh, your insights. And I definitely would love to get you on a future episode to, to talk a little bit deeper. Absolutely. Anytime, Eric, thank you for, you know, your work and what you're doing and uh, we'll, we'll stay in touch. Awesome. Thanks, Michael. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.